I believe in miracles. Don't say people. I'm doing business here, man. I don't want anybody tells you words and ideas can change the world. Ninety percent of what you're saying ain't coming out of your mouth. From failing, you learn. From success, not so much. Keep moving forward. Welcome to the Small Business Miracles Podcast. I'm Jeff Randolph, and as always, this Small Business Podcast is brought to you by EAG Advertising and Marketing. But not as always, today we have a very special episode. Don't you like it when your favorite podcast does something that's a little different and captures audio from like a live show in front of a studio audience? I mean, sure, the sound quality is different, but you get a deeper sense and a deeper dive into some serious issues that impact, in this case, entrepreneurs and business owners. Well, that's what we have for you today. We're, we're going to take you into a packed room of business owners where I get to moderate a panel of business advisors from a trusted advisor group and discuss issues that are critical today, all along the theme of protecting your business. The panelists will introduce themselves in just a minute, and you'll, you'll see the full list in the show notes, so do check that out. So join me right now. Go ahead and mentally place yourself in a crowded room of your peers for this session. And like the people who could attend in person, you'll walk away with plenty of thoughts about how to protect your business. Here we go. All right. Hello, everybody. My name is Jeff Randolph. I'm the uh, Chief Marketing Officer at EAG Advertising and Marketing. I get the opportunity to be a, uh, a, a moderator today and, and help. The focus is definitely on the panel discussion. Um, We'd, we'd like to talk today about protecting your business. You've got a, a sheet in front of you that is all about the trusted advisor group, and this is, is your tag group that will be the, the panel here. Um, they were talking. They, they uncover all kinds of great issues, and they said, you know, this is one that I think a lot more business owners should hear. So we want to make sure we, we cover all of those. The, when, when the topic is protecting your business, it can be kind of a fear-based discussion, and we, we don't want that to happen. We want to be very proactive in how we approach all of, all of these opportunities and how to, how to protect your business. Um, so we, we thought the way to set the stage for that is to start with cybersecurity, because that, it's a topic that a lot of us don't keep up on. Um, I just recently deleted my MySpace page. Security is important, especially the cyber stuff. So we're, we're going to uh, have, have um, Mike Jackson, the president of Pendelo Systems, come up here and give just kind of a, a lay of the land on the, the state of cybersecurity these days and, and tell us what we should all be paying attention to. And then I'll call the panel up and we'll get right into the discussion. So Mike, come on up. All right, so uh, thank you all for, for coming. So thank you, thank you, Jeff. So I know it's hard to, as leaders, as business owners, it's hard to get away and step away and everything. But I hope that if nothing else, you'll you'll learn a little bit about how to better protect your business today, uh, and maybe get some some good connections and some good food for sure. So as Jeff said, I get to start off with cybersecurity. So nothing like a little food and then getting sick to your stomach as we start off today. So I will I will do my best to to not do that for sure, but. But obviously, it's you know with, with cybersecurity, things are um, it, it's a top of mind for all of us. So it doesn't matter if we're reading the news, social media, or if you're friends with me, you're probably talking about it in casual conversation. So, but it's it's absolutely everywhere. And so, with the uh, with the rate of change in technology today, so um, there's you know, I think we're in a point where technology is changing faster than it ever has. So uh, you know, it, and it's 
um, especially when we're talking, you know, we're talking ones and zeros with, with these things. So it's, it's changing faster than ever. Just, I, I read just the other day that in April alone, there were over 1,000 new artificial intelligence applications created. So just in that one month period. So now that is largely due to the, um, I guess, emergence of artificial intelligence. And we've all probably heard a little bit about chat GPT and everything at this point. Our kids are writing their papers with it and uh, we're using it, um, starting to, to really utilize it in business. But it's largely based on, on the advances in, in artificial intelligence. So uh, with that, we have to make sure that we're protecting our businesses. So when technology uh, is moving at the rate that it is, um, that's, that's good and bad. It's good for our businesses and, and good for our, our lives in that we can do new things, we can create new processes, we can, we can do things that we couldn't do previously, but it also means that you know, software is a little bit of an imperfect science and that people are creating new software, they're sending out new software, and it may not always be perfect, there might be some holes in there might be some opportunities for the bad guys to get in. So it's a time when we have to make sure that while we're utilizing technology to our advantage, we're also being, being careful of, of how, we're, how we're utilizing that. So um, when we're talking about chat GPT and we're talking about artificial intelligence, you know, I want to bring this around that you know, we've been getting phishing emails forever. So a phishing email is essentially an email that somebody sends you and they're trying to get you to respond, they're trying to get you to click on a link, or maybe even enter some information. So it's been a problem for, for a long time, and we're seeing that um, it is the most common way for somebody to get into your environment today. So um, if we go back a long time, you know, phishing emails are not, not new. Um, has anybody ever heard of the Nigerian Prince scam? Yeah, we've all got that. That's, uh, turns out that we all have an uncle who's in Nigeria that uh, just, we just found out about, so congratulations, by the way. But the Nigerian Prince scam is they're going to they say, hey, if you send me a little bit of money, I'm going to unlock this windfall of, of money for you. And um, it's actually, the, the history on it is that it was actually created after the French Revolution. Obviously, they weren't sending emails at the time, by the way. But it was after the French Revolution, and they'd say, hey, we have a prisoner. Um, and if you send me a little bit of money, I can unlock that prisoner for you. Um, they can, I can provide that. And so that's actually where it started. But the... Nigerian Prince scam is still ongoing, and if you'd believe it, just as a few years ago, that still netted about $700,000 just from people here in the U.S. alone. So Nigerian Prince is still doing pretty well. Uh, there is no doubt about that. So um, I might, might alter uh, kind of my direction in life a little bit. But um, the point there is that it's been fairly easy to identify things like that over the course of time. We're looking for poor grammar. We're looking for uh, misspelling and, and things like that. It's fairly easy to identify those, those, those types of issues. The problem is that now that we're introducing artificial intelligence and everything into the mix, those emails are going to be a lot more difficult to identify, a lot, more, a lot harder to say, hey, I see this misspelling. Um, or you know, we, we see all sorts of stuff in emails that we can identify. Right now, you can type into um, whatever your platform is um, for, for artificial intelligence, whether it's Google or Microsoft or whatever it is. Um, you can say, hey, write, write email based on this topic and send it to this list of people. And within five minutes, it's gone out. And it's probably written. written. I can guarantee it's written better than I can write it. Um, but um, it's definitely not going to have the issues and the misspellings. So, so we have to be much more cognizant and much more aware. And I think one of the first things you know, I want to hit on is that we've got to make sure that we're aware. So if something seems odd, it probably is. So and that's kind of the, the first thing. Nobody's ever um, had a problem because they decided to not, be, not click on a link. 
So, um, you know, we're all naturally curious people. So like, we always like to say, hey, what happens if I do click on this link? I know it probably shouldn't, but what happens if I do? And that's when we really start to, to have problems. So, so most of us here today are, are small businesses, so for the most part. Um, and one of the things I hear quite a bit is that, well, I'm a small business. I don't really need to worry about all this cybersecurity stuff. I'm not a target. So, um, and again, this is the risk of not making you sick to your stomach, but I'll still go. Uh, quick story on, uh, I was talking to our security advisor. This is about six months ago, and he was in the middle of, of helping out a client. And they were a, uh, they are a two-person law firm, so a small law firm of what you could even call a micro law firm. So they had two computers and some data in the cloud. They came in one morning and they had a little message on their screen. And it was that their data had been encrypted, they'd been hit with ransomware, and they had to pay, the, the ransom was $900,000. So, um, yeah. The really scary part is that they had just under that amount in their bank account. The guys had been sitting there dwelling in their environment for about 45 days and observing their, their transactions, observing their communications to evaluate. They knew how much money they had in there, and they said, we're going to put it for just over that. So they had to make that decision. Are we going to take out a second, second mortgage, possibly? Or how are we going to, to get that money? So um, luckily, they were able to restore from, from backup um, and get, get their data back. But that's the environment that we're, we're looking at, and that's the environment that we're living in. So, um, so how do we protect against that? So uh, first of all, things that we've done in the past do not equal success in the future. So when I started the business in, in 2011, and that was, hey, you do this one thing, we're good. We're probably going to be okay. Don't worry about it. So um, you know, about 5% of everything we were doing was in the cybersecurity space back then. So now we're in the 50 60%. So, and you got to have a layered strategy in terms of what you're doing and to make sure you're protected. So, so just because you know, you've learned something, you've read something in the past, doesn't equal success in the future as things are, as things are changing. So, so I want to talk through kind of five key points today uh, and things that you can take back. Some of these you may already have it in place and some of these you're like, you know what, eh, that might be, might be kind of good to, to think about. So first of all, education. So in the industry, we call this security awareness training. That's the, the formal topic and everything. But education. Make sure you're educating yourselves and your team on what's out there. Uh, and now this, um, there's a different ways to do this. This doesn't necessarily mean, well, you know, let's, let's all gather in a room and we'll have somebody like me stand up and go through a couple presentation slides and everything. And we'll all sign in and we'll say that we were there, um, but we're all actually going to be on our phones. So now this means let's actually have a, an ongoing uh, conversation about what it, um, what's going on out there. What does that phishing email look like now? So what are the password requirements? What are the different things that you can, you can be doing? We see that 95% of all breaches, I said that B word, we don't use that B word, um, so, but so we call them incidents, sounds a lot better, but we see that 95% of all incidents um, come because of human error. So if we can educate people better, that's that first line of defense. Obviously we wanna protect from anything ever getting into the first place, but if we can make sure that person doesn't click on that link, or when they're on the side of a web page on Facebook or Jeff's MySpace account, they don't click on that little link on the side and something happens, that helps us um, 100%. Second one is multi-factor authentication. So we don't like it. It's a pain. It takes an extra step. Do it, please. 
So, yes, um, it is. It is. Um, it does take an extra step. It takes an extra second to put in that six-digit code or to get that text message. But it is one of the single best ways to protect yourself. There, there is no doubt about that. I counted the other day because kind of a nerd like this. Um, I have 39 different codes that are in my phone right now for multi-factor, for all the different applications and things that, that, that we do. Because any chance there, there is to set something up, I'm gonna do that. So, and it does take an extra step, but is the best way to protect yourself. We were talking with Microsoft a couple years ago, and they said, if you do nothing else for your clients, make sure they have multi-factor authentication on. So um, it is the best way to protect your identity. Number three, backup. Now, we've been talking about backup forever. And everybody says, well, great, Mike, but I don't have any servers. I'm on the cloud. We're good to go. So backup isn't just about having stuff, you know, an old server in your, in your office. Are your cloud applications backed up? That online accounting platform that you use, is that backed up? If something happens, if a, an employee deletes a file before they leave, if you have um, some sort of security incident, can you get that data back? And we're not always looking at, at security in terms of, you know, say, ransomware or some of these words that, that, that we hear about. It could also be, hey, we've got an employee that we may have to let go and they're not doing it well. Do they delete information before, before they go? Can you get that data back? So whether it's accounting or your files or this, make sure that data is backed up. Um, not all cloud providers do provide automatic backup. So make sure that you can, you can get that. Endpoint protection. So this is the fancy word for antivirus. So we've been talking about it forever. And the first thing I won't do is, um, if you get a bunch of tech guys together and talk about antivirus, you, you'd be better off talking about religion or politics, honestly. So um, to say that we are opinionated would be an understatement. But, so, but endpoint protection, essentially make sure something is on your computer and on your devices scanning for bad stuff. So that's the, the most basic. Um, we see it catches about 40 to 50% of items, and that's why that layered strategy protections in, in various layers is so important. But that's still 40 to 50% that is much, much better than, than not having it in the first place. Um, I'm not gonna tell you which one to go with, because again, that's a, you know, go down a, a rabbit hole there, but make sure something that is, is scanning every file that, that comes in and, and, and providing you alerts when there are issues and that somebody is looking at that. So, and then last but definitely not least, policies and procedures. I think this is the one that gets lost commonly and, and overlooked. So if you do have an issue, how do you react? So who do you call? If you come in the morning and that law firm has that, has that screen, that, that image on their computer that none of us want, who do you call? What do you do? So are you just running into the, is everybody running into your office? Is everybody running the CEO's office and, and screaming? Or do you have a plan of how you, how you go about that? So, um, and I really look at, at three different general policies that I like to see. So number one is a general cybersecurity policy. And there are templates out there um, on these, but what do you have in place? What are the things you have in place? So you have a little bit of an inventory of the different protections you have. Because that'll also help to define what you don't have in place. Then it gets you thinking about, uh, about everything. The second one is a business continuity policy. Now a lot of us utilized these, I don't know, maybe three years ago when we had a little pandemic. So if you've gotta be remote, if you have to go somewhere else, um, how do you keep your business going? This isn't always about cybersecurity, 
Um, sometimes it's about the general business, but it obviously plays in. So if, you're, if your system is down, if you have no internet, um, how do you work? Because that, again, that also helps you think, well, maybe we shouldn't be relying upon the internet at the office. Maybe we need to transition to where we can absolutely work from, from truly anywhere. And that third one is that incident response plan. So again, when something happens, how do you react? Who do you call? Because a lot of times you can't just, if you have an issue, you can't just immediately fix the problem. Your insurance or somebody may say, no, 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 hold on. We're not doing that just yet. We want to take a look at things and, and we want to get the right people involved. So those five things, education, multi-factor authentication, backup, endpoint protection, and policies. All of these in the end, what we're looking to do is mitigate risk. That is what cybersecurity is. So, you know, in our day-to-day -day lives as, as leaders and business owners, it's about risk. If I hire on this person, you know, yeah, it might hurt profitability a little bit, but what is that giving the opportunity to do? If we enter this new market, we're looking at risk in various, various ways. With cybersecurity, we're looking to mitigate that risk. Sometimes it may not always make sense to put something new in place, a new policy, a new procedure, or a new application. Let me say, you know what? That is going to hurt the business so much that it doesn't make sense. We have to evaluate those. You need to make sure you're evaluating those with your business as well as your technology provider. But we're looking to, to manage that risk and bring that down as small as possible while still being able to, to do our jobs. The problem is, you know, one of the things that we look at is how do we help businesses to be more successful? How do we help them be more efficient and more effective? Security sometimes is a direct contradiction to that. So we have to balance that security versus efficiency. A conversation is something we should always be thinking about. Yes, I can put this in place, but does that make sense 100%? So the best way to protect ourselves is to pull the plug on the internet. That is, that is the single best way. So, yeah, no, Trisha's in the back like, I, I, what, are you, what are you talking about here? So that is the best way. But unfortunately, that doesn't seem like a whole lot of fun. It really doesn't. So um, how are we supposed to go through our, our various social feeds and everything? So, so knowing that, that we've got to then look at it and say, okay, how do we then um, manage that, that risk as well as possible? So, all right, so I'm hoping that you did not um, get too sick here, um, that you're, you're still feeling okay. So um, we've, we want to segue this a little bit to some, some questions and look at it not just from a cybersecurity perspective, but from you know, obviously various businesses and look at it, you know, in terms of protecting your entire business, because it's definitely not just about um, the technology, it's about various different levels. So. All right, thank you very much. Um, let's bring the rest of the panel up and let's do that with a All right, hi, I am Michelle Markham and I am owner of EAG Advertising and Marketing. We work with small businesses, have been in business for, uh, we're in our 20th year, actually. Um, providing services to small businesses. Rich Cornell, RPS Benefits by Design. We help uh, bend the healthcare cost uh, curve in a favorable way while, we do, while engaging <laughs> employees in their benefits. I'm Valerie Vaughn with Apex Business Advisors. We help the owners of small privately held businesses exit when they're ready to sell. I've looked at hundreds of businesses in the 10 years I've been in the industry, and most are not ready to sell without some preparation. So that's, that's my shtick. And I'm Kathy Deegan. I'm co-owner of Twin Financial, and I get those clients prepared and help them be, protect their business, get prepared, and provide solutions 
for selling and having a transition in their business. I'm Trisha Ledke. I'm a vice president of Treasury Services for Core Bank. Treasury Services is that online banking. That's why I was covering my ears back there. Um, but all the ways to protect you um, and get your accounts online so you can do your business, um, but also protect you with fraud protection so that you can pay efficiently and effectively your vendors and your employees. I'm Angela Eberhardt. I'm a director at Crown CFO. We are a fractional CFO firm. I have 20 years, over 20 years of accounting experience. I'm a CPA, and I work with small to medium-sized business owners on strategic planning and financial insights. So you probably know me at this point, but I'm Mike Jackson. I'm president of Candela Solutions and um, been in business for 12 years, and we provide technology management for small businesses in Kansas City. Good morning, everybody. Doug DeLister with Insperity, and Insperity provides human resource solutions for small to medium-sized businesses. And that's everything from technology to HR support to compliance and risk guidance um, and uh, anything related to the employee life cycle. You may hear me pop back in here from time to time with some clarifications because the uh, audio recorded on site wasn't as clear uh, for all of the questions and certainly for the audience questions. I'm going to do that right now, and all of these questions are going to be bucketed about the economy. So first one goes to Michelle Markham. What about the never-ending looming recession or the fact that even minor economic downturns are cyclical and inevitable? How do owners protect their businesses from a marketing perspective when that occurs? Thank you, Jeff. Well, thank you. <laughs> it sounds so formal. Um, the biggest thing that, that businesses can do is really, especially when times are good and the leads are coming in, is just be really diligent with those leads because we have a tendency to look at the top line. And so anybody that wants to work with us, let's bring them in, let's do these things. But the, the danger and the danger that we saw um, yeah, I mean, in 2008, the danger we saw with the pandemic, anytime there's an economic downturn, especially if you're working with B2B companies, you need to know that these are good leads. You need to know that these are people that you want to work with. Um, you need to know that their businesses are solid. You need to know that they're, they're good businesses. Um, and there are all kinds of aspects. You know, the, the thing about you know, bringing in businesses that fit so that, that you have employee satisfaction so that you can can meet the needs of those clients, but also you want to you want to really um, vet those leads and make sure that these are people who are running very solid businesses. Are they running businesses that are really vulnerable in times of an economic downturn? Because a lot of times that's when you're not going to get paid. So these great leads that looked great a year ago have suddenly become collections issues. So it's that it's that lead generation that everybody is doing with advertising and marketing, but it's really vetting those leads. Valerie Vaughn gets the next question, and it's about the economy, that when the economy is, is negative, business owners may be hesitant because they fear it's a bad time to sell, but they're ready to sell. Um, is, is it a bad time to sell? Right. Well, the economy is a little uncertain, but it's been uncertain for as long as I can remember. And we are finding at Apex that we have far more motivated, well-qualified buyers than businesses that are going to market. So what happens is if we have a, a good business, it's profitable, it's in the metro, and it's not extremely niche um, like you don't need a PhD in taxidermy, then it goes, it gets sold very quickly. So if your time is now, 
Don't feel like you need to wait for interest rates to drop or the economy to settle or a new president. If your time is now, there are always buyers. Redirecting that question a little bit to Angela, a lot of times in an economic downturn, we may have a tendency to hold on to cash. Um, are we taking advantage of high interest rates if we're sitting on a lot of cash? Um, what should we be asking our advisors about when it comes to whether we hold on to cash or invest? Yeah, so we're in a little bit of unprecedented times. We haven't seen high interest rates like this in a long time. So if you're sitting on excess cash, call your bank, my friend here. Um, but seriously, call your bank and talk to your bank and ask them about what your options are. Sometimes by just calling your bank, you can increase the interest rate that you're making if you're sitting on that, on that excess cash. Look at, you know, if you've got a lot of excess cash, what should you be doing? Should you be spreading it across banks? She might throw something at me. But um, check and make sure your bank is FDIC insured. Look at ladder bonds, look at CDs. You know, we've got clients that are making 4.8, 5%, 5.1% right now, which is unheard of with your cash. Um, so make sure you're taking advantage of that. And if you're not sitting on excess cash, but you've got a line of credit or debt instruments, make sure you understand that you have some negotiation room when that line of credit comes up for renewal and really talk to your bank and ask them what they can do for you to keep that rate as a manageable level for you with these increasing rates. We turn the topic to protecting your business asset. And I'm going to start with Kathy Deegan on this one. Um, I'm ready to sell. Will I have sources of retirement income beyond the proceeds of the sale of my business? That's a very good question, Jeff. So, <laughs> so that is one of my number one jobs is, and I take it very seriously in the sense that helping protect my client, the business owner, from themselves <laughs> because the business owner has so much passion. You have so much passion for your business that you naturally put more money back into your business to keep having it grow or you leave maybe too much cash in the business versus taking the money and the cash out into your own pocketbook because that really scares business owners. They don't have enough liquidity or enough money in the business. But the business is only, should only be one, one fourth of your overall asset base to get ready for retirement. So I really work with clients to have four sources of retirement income. And the business should not be 90% of it. But many of you in here, I know, 90% of your asset balance sheet is your business. And you don't even put the right value down because you don't want the banker to really know what the value of the business is. <laughs> so you need four assets. Business is one. And, but you'll get the maximum value if you're not 100% dependent on it. Retirement accounts are two. Investable accounts are three, maybe cash value life insurance is four, and then real estate, five. So anywhere in there, you can come up with an efficient and effective financial retirement strategy. Valerie Vaughn gets the next question, and Valerie usually helps business owners confidently sell their businesses, which is a planned event. What can business owners do now to protect value if they suddenly have a need to sell their business? You mean like if there's a divorce or a health issue, which happens. 
And uh, just think about, try to think about your business as if you didn't own it. What would a buyer think of it? And what would a lender think of it? And probably the lender is most important. Did that make you feel good? <laughs> so put systems and processes in place, procedures. It doesn't have to be written down. We have so many technology tools now. You can videotape procedures. Um, do whatever you can to delegate yourself. Like don't be the number one salesperson in your business. Have sales and marketing and other parts. If you're able to have a number two who can run the company when you're gone for two weeks in, in Italy, that's great. Um, other things are less obvious, like contracts. Many of you have contracts with customers. Are they transferable? If they're not transferable, they're probably not valuable to a buyer. If you have a certification, um, uh, like woman-owned, minority-owned, disabled service. I can never remember that whole thing. Um, that, can, that can be a problem and reduce your value at sale time unless everything can be transferred. Um, so you're looking for the same type of buyer. And finally, this one has gotten us a lot lately, is leases. Um, I just sold a business for a couple of men who wanted to transfer their lease and the uh, landlord was not willing to let them off the lease, meaning that the new buyer, the new owner, would have a new lease, but they'd still be responsible for the six years left on their existing lease if the buyer messed up the business and defaulted. So have an attorney look at your lease or look at your lease yourself to make sure that you aren't trapped in that sort of situation. Can you get out of your lease, I guess, if you rent? And if you're your own um, landlord, then I think you're good. Yeah. Well, we're trying to keep it proactive. That frightens people. I saw a reaction. <laughs> it happens more than you'd like to know. Kathy Deegan, how can a business owner protect their larger asset and earning ability? And that may be uh, an applicable solution for key employees, too. Correct. So it is really fun and more fun to plan for an exit strategy, whatever that transition is. But it is difficult to talk about the unplanned. So how and what do you need to protect the unplanned? And that is a key person. So if you have a key employee and then key, key employee passes away, what happens to the sales? What happens to your clients? What happens to the, so the liquidity to the business is affected. So that could be the owner, that could be a key employee with that. Also, the one that happens a lot is the loss of earned income. And everybody uses, you know, doesn't like talking about disability. But in today's environment, loss of earned income is more than likely going to happen. I mean, and you just have to lose some income and that doesn't, that can happen pretty quickly. So those are the things that you needed. Oh, the third one I wanted to say was a buy-sell agreement. And if you're in partnership with anybody, then you need to have a formal buy-sell agreement and a way to insure it. So with probably life insurance. Back to Michelle again. Um, when we think about protecting our business when it comes to marketing, the first thing that comes to mind is a trademark to protect brand names and logos on goods and services. What else should be done? 
Um, the biggest thing is to own every property out there that you can. And so a lot of times this goes to social media. And so you may say, I don't like Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not going to deal with Facebook. Don't be on it, but have an account. Have your brand have an account. Have your brand own it. And, I mean, there are, there are over 100 different social media, media properties out there, so I'm not saying own every single one of them, but own the big ones. And make sure that, that whether you're active or not on them, it's your brand. You have that because someone else can grab it. If something's going on, if, if you don't own it and um, something's going on, you don't want somebody else communicating to your clients or customers from that brand, um, you know, positive, negative, whatever, you want to be able to own that. And the second part of it is even if you maybe don't personally like Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever it is, if your customers are there, um, be there and, and, and be vocal and be... Um, communicate with them so that if something is going on they know okay where do I hear updates where where does this um, where does this brand speak from I know that they speak from LinkedIn and so I can go there we took a poll of the audience at this point and asked how many people had done exit planning so you know your exit and a few hands went up but certainly not enough in the room um, for something that is so important in, in the process so we talked to Valerie and said Valerie what should we be looking for um, for exit planning? I didn't count, and I've lost my ability to do math quickly because I'm sitting here. If I was out there, I'd be able to do it. But uh, the numbers are staggering. Uh, I participate in a quarterly survey of 350 to 400 business intermediaries across the U.S., and 80% of, excuse me, 70% of business owners do not plan. And that is for a business size of zero income or zero revenue to 100 million revenue. So you'd think that on the larger side, there'd be some more planning. Obviously, um, or not obviously, but generally speaking, the smaller the business, the less planning is done. And I think that's because the smaller the business, the more the owner is in the business day to day and doesn't have the time to pull themselves out. I think these numbers are staggering since the number one reason to sell your business or exit your business is retirement. And we all know it's coming, right? <laughs> Someday. So, um, yeah, it, congratulations to those of you who raised your hand. It's never too early to start planning. You might think, okay, I'm five or ten years out. I'll get there. I'll do it in two years. Start. You'll be surprised at what you'll learn that will help make the process to retirement or your exit easier and add value to your business. Can I add something? Yeah. Sorry, going off script. Um, <laughs> so about a year and a half ago, um, I was really fortunate I was able to go through the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Program. And the program was, was working on your growth plan and planning out your growth. And it was really interesting to me because they have all of these business owners together and the first question they asked, they said, okay, we're gonna start working on your growth plan. The first thing is, what is your exit plan? Or no, they said, what do you think the first thing is that you need to plan? I just gave away the answer. Um, <laughs> this is what happens when I'm totally unscripted. <laughs> But 
But what was interesting is, you know, everybody talked about, you know, well, how much money I want to make, what I need for, you know, all of, all of these different types of things. Uh, what do I want to sell? Am I trying to expand into a market? And, and because I know these people, it's like I, you know, everybody was, they were answering and people were saying no. And I was like, your exit plan. And they were like, bingo. And everybody was just like, but I'm trying to grow my business. Why am I planning my exit? And it was for exactly what you said. So. Okay, can I go along? <laughs> <laughs> okay, on that is the n number one reason when I talk to business owners about planning for an exit. Who do you want to sell to? Who are possibly make my key employees? You know, another business. Then the next thing is, but no one has. They don't have any money. No one ever has any money. It's okay. So we have to plan to help have money to go get the loan from the bank. See, we're using you. <laughs> so, but I do work on you as an owner need to be responsible to say, I need to help create a pot of money between five to 20% over here. 10 to 20. Okay, 10. To, I know. I was just trying to make it more e easier for them to, because that's the hardest part is saving the money. And so, with that, you know, budgeting, planning, understanding cash flow, because it is amazing how many small to medium sized businesses don't think about budgeting don't think about cash projections. They just are like in the moment, they don't understand what's profitable in their business or not profitable or what that's gonna look like two or three years out. So as you start thinking about exit plannings or selling your company, really those business owners that are coming in and wanting to acquire, they wanna see that you have a budget, that you've held yourself to a budget, that you've tracked to see where your variances are, that you really understand your business. Because a lot of times you do get busy in the day-to-day -day running of your business that you don't really stop to think through that strategic planning of you know where am I headed and what does that look like from a budgetary standpoint. Moving on to the topic of banking, we finally talked to Trisha the banker. So banking online has become a quick and convenient way to manage our finances without having to visit the bank. But with improved technology comes the risk of fraud, scams, and identity theft. How can someone or a small business owner protect themselves from cyber criminals and keep their information and finances safe? Absolutely. So Mike alluded to a lot of it this morning. So I'll just pick on a few things. Um, personally, I know that you guys have million hats that you're wearing and you probably do your personal banking as well as maybe even your business banking between 10 p.m. and midnight because that's when you finally have everybody in bed and you can actually sit down and look at your computer. But you need to look at your bank statements and I know everyone's looking at me like, what are those? Those are those paper things that we still send out or those are those electronic things that are on your computer in your online banking. So look at those. Make sure that you know what's coming in and out of your account. I had a client recently, I love to tell stories because I think it resonates a little bit more. I had a client call me and she said, I already paid my Comcast bill and I noticed five days later they took it out again. And I said, okay. She goes, well, I started looking back and it's been happening for a year and a half. And I went, oh, well, we have a little time limit on some of those things, but I can help you for at least probably six months for your ACHs. Let's start digging in, figuring out what it is. It was her ex-husband. I quickly got out of that mess and said, woo, 
here you go. You guys deal with, you know, figuring that out. But she hadn't been paying attention. And she was just noticing, all right, I paid that, I paid that. Then got back in, oh, I paid, right? So she was missing or not paying attention to her bills, to her bank statements, to what's going on on her account. Um, so that's one thing. Look at those pesky statements that the bank sends you. Um, also, make sure that if you're not using your debit card or your credit card, you can go to the bank, you can go online, and you can freeze them. Freeze them if you're not using them. If you need to go buy a car, the car dealer will allow you to unfreeze it. You can do it on your phone. They'll run your credit, and you can go back and freeze it again. So then you know if something tries to happen on your account, again, a nice little story, I let my office manager have my corporate card for all the toiletries and the coffee and tea that the bank has, and all of a sudden, I get an alert because I'm a smart banker and smart person, and I put alerts on my account because those are free. Those are free on your account. And I got an email that said, you just spent $30 at McDonald's. And I was like, well, first of all, that's absurd. But I'm like, $30 at, at McDonald's? What is going on? Well, him and his buddies decided to eat McDonald's that night. So the next day, I went up to him and I said, how was McDonald's? He was like, oh, it was good. Why? And I'm like, because you used my card, not your card. And he goes, oh. I'm like, yeah, you need to write me a check. So... Free, you know, take care of those kind of things. Look at those free alerts, freeze those accounts. It takes up to six months, I had to write this down, 200 hours of work to get your identity back after it's been compromised. So if you have six months and 200 hours of free time, don't do that stuff, right? But nobody has that time. So do those kind of things. Um, another one, don't send anyone your social security number and your driver's license at the same time. So banks typically want all that information when they're opening your new account at Core Bank. Um, but don't send it in the same email because now I have, everybody has all your stuff that they're just sending it online. Um, so call your banker, give them your social security number on through the phone. Um, lots of banks don't even keep your driver's license anymore. Um, if it's a billion dollars and over in assets, which a lot of people don't know what their bank's assets are, um, we don't keep those anymore. And so all you need to do is just advise them of your issue date and expiration date. So make sure that you're doing that. Doctor's offices are prone to giving you all this stuff and saying, fill this out again. And everybody rolls their eyes and goes back and sits down and fills it all out, how many people are looking at that between the nurses and all everybody else, and where is it sitting in their office before someone inputs it? If you've been to the doctor for the last 10 years, the same doctor, just write no change. If they ask you for it, tell them you'll input it into their system for them, because they should have it. You've been there. That's crazy. So look at those things, make sure that, you know, you're protecting yourself because I know I don't have six months. I have 14-year-old twins. That's enough. But um, the other thing, so that's on the personal side, but on the business side, I'm not giving the microphone back. Um, on the business side, you know, Mike alluded to a lot of the things about bad grammar and those kind of things. 
Some of the other stuff is look at your invoices from your vendors. Are they, have they increased? We had someone, again, I told you I love stories. We had someone who was in cahoots with the paper supplier. So all of a sudden, paper went up 20%. Supply chain issues, you know. It increased. Well, the office manager and the copier were having a little affair, tryst, and they increased on the owner. The owner didn't even know it because the office manager was paying the bills. Paper supplier was bringing it in. His boss didn't know it. They were increasing it, taking 10%, going on a hot date. So look at those bills. Make sure you know what's going on and that it's not increasing, right? Um, or, you know, make sure when you get your invoice, if it's online, make sure that you look at it and make sure you scan over the email address. Make sure it's really who it says it is. UPS called me the other day, said they lost my address. I'm like... Really? So I looked on it, and Eric from Hotmail needed to know where I lived. <laughs> Eric from Hotmail does not need to know where I live. So, you know, you can check that on your phone, too. You can click on it, and it, it comes up. I warn my mom all the time because she's click happy. She's Facebook queen. Um, so look at those things. I know it's a pain to change your password. I know it's getting more and more cryptic. You need to think of a phrase or there's 10, 10 numbers or 16 numbers now, make sure that you put those down and that you, you know, not use the same one, but you do have to change them because of that security. And a lot of times it's the cookies that, you know, when you update your malware, you update all that kind of stuff, all of that gets changed. And so you have to input it again and do that second step of that authentication, multi-factor stuff. Um, so don't blame your banker. We're trying to keep your money safe. Um, I think that's it for now. He, he, absolutely. Yeah, and for the first point she had in terms of looking at your bank statements, don't always just be looking for the larger amounts. So I've seen that actually this happened to me, that there was a charge from Brazil for five cents on my statement. Um, what they were doing is they were looking to see if was there anything there, and they come back the next time for a much larger amount. So be looking not just for the $30, $100, or whatever. Those little ones, they're just trying to test, is there something there? Is this account active? And then they'll go after the larger amount. Nine times out of 10. And I will tell you, I advise my clients, look at your banking, both from your bank account and your credit cards, on a weekly basis. Don't wait till the end of the month when you get your bank statement. At least do it once a month. But you really should be doing it weekly because you want to catch anything that's going on and resolve it as quickly as possible. Absolutely. Businesses only have um, like three days, three to five days to make any kind of changes on your statement if you see something or fraud. Personally, consumers, we have 30 days, but um, businesses do not. So you do need to be looking at it weekly, if not more than weekly. A question from the audience at this point that wasn't on mic, um, is paying with ACH more secure than using a debit card? Yes. Um, well, I will say from a debit card. Debit card, I would not use at all. Debit card is more like a handshake. You know, I know it says it's Visa secured or MasterCard secured on the back, but a debit card is really a, a handshake deal anymore um, because you don't have a contract with that. I guess, you know, a paper contract. 
ACH, you're having someone sign, or I would have someone sign that says, you're able to hit my account on this date and this amount. So you have that contract with them, credit card, I would do the same thing. You're opening yourself up to liability for them to change it by 10 cents or 20 cents or whatever, a dollar, any time that you just hand over your financial information to them through a debit card or a credit card. So ACH definitely, and the banks have blocks and filters. Um, we have different fraud protection to help you with that. So we can talk more about that. Follow-up question from the audience at this point about people stealing your credit card um, through some kind of card reader uh, that's a near-field communication card reader where you can protect yourself from um, being being hacked uh, with your credit card data while you're walking through the airport. God, I love her. Yes, it can happen. That's what those little um, RFID card holders that Core Bank put, yes, that's what those are. And that's what those are for. And I still think, Mike, you probably can add more to this, but I still think that that is a hot, hot thing. Yeah. They used to cut the back of your jean pocket and your wallet would drop out. That's why fanny packs are those nice little Lululemon little bags now, whatever. Those are high priced um, fanny packs. Um, but that's what, you know, that's what they were doing. They were cutting the back pocket of gentlemen and women and getting um, their wallets out. And so that's why some of that kind of stuff has come up to fruition. We had a question from the audience at this point about remote employees and how to protect your business assets and data and IT from from uh, any kind of, of harm or malware or, or other kind of nefarious activity um, for remote employees. Yeah, great question. So... The, the world has definitely changed over the course of the past few years, uh, and from a technology perspective, um, that is a, an understatement. So um, I, I think in general, we have, to, we have to understand where our data is being accessed at all times. So if you have that person in, in um, I think you said Poland, uh, if you have that person in Poland, let's lock down the information so it can only be accessed from where that person is. And there's various, I won't get into the technology of everything, there's policies and procedures we can put in place to, to limit what can be accessed and from where that is. So, um, and again, this kind of goes a little bit to the, the layered approach of we need to have various precautions on our, our technology to, to limit the impact and to limit the way that people can get to the data. Because um, at the end of the day, what we're trying to protect is the data. Um, those are your assets. That's the information, whether that's patient information, client information, whatever that is. Um, we need to be to limit what they can access. My recommendation is to um, provide the computers for people personally, because you can lock those down and make sure that you know exactly how those are set up. If you can't, then you need to make sure that they're going into a secure environment somewhere and accessing that remotely to where they can't pull information from that secure environment down to their computers. Another follow-up, um, kind of how you can check to see if your IT department has some of those things covered, uh, because there is that fear that if you go to your IT department and they say, yeah, we've got that under control, but how can you verify that? Yeah. So conform essentially general evaluations. So they conform, go through a number of questions and we've got a number of questions that we go through to look high level and then to start to, to look at, at various uh, areas. Um, but essentially you can do, do assessments, we can do evaluations, we can actually do somewhat of a vulnerability assessment uh, that will produce a report that shows all the different holes. Uh, we'll bring it up a level. So we're not gonna scare you with all of it, um, but we'll bring it up a level to make general recommendations to say, hey, here are some general holes that you have in, in your security. Here's things that, that should be addressed. But at the beginning of the day, it starts with a conversation. Um, we need to understand what are you trying to do, what are your goals, 
And then how can we overlay technology to achieve those and keep you protected at the same time? So it's kind of that, that again, that conversation between security and efficiency. Another question from the audience, this time about evaluating your cybersecurity insurance policies. What's covered? What's not? How do we know if we're adequately prepared? Yeah, those, those questionnaires are fun. So uh, they are. So, so we do a lot of them every single year, and they vary in terms of the length. So we, we see some that are about four or five questions, and they're really not doing much, up to there's one from a, a large provider in town that's a 25-page document. And, and how you answer those questions is extremely important because if you say, yes, we have XYZ protection, and then you have an, an incident, again, um, and they come back and say, well, you told me you had this in place. So I'm not going to cover that, that issue. I'm not going to provide you the insurance on that one because you told me you had this in place and it turns out you didn't. So how you answer those are very, very important. So yes, we, we definitely help out with those, but it's also, it's a little bit of answering as well as education. So what does this mean? Do you need to have that in place? And so we can also, we can have that conversation with the insurance provider and, and say, well, if we had this in place, what does that do to our premium? And then what is that, what's, how we mitigate that risk a little bit and, and, does that make sense for the business? A question back to Angela on IT. How do we protect our organizations from cyber attack from the financial perspective? Yeah, so, and I could talk for hours on this topic, um, but the first thing I would say is budget for IT spend. Make sure you've got a good technology provider that's assisting you, and make sure that you're budgeting for the tools that you need. So the multi-factor authentication, a lot of it's free, but sometimes you know, there's a little bit of a cost to add it across your organization. Make sure you're investing in the right software. Make sure you know what your employees are using. Are they using software that's 20 years old that's not being updated and supported from a security perspective? So make sure that you're budgeting from an IT perspective. Make sure that you have a cyber insurance policy and you understand that cyber insurance policy and don't wait to put in a cyber insurance policy. We have had clients who are like, oh, I'll add that next year. And then they have a security event before they have that policy in place. And now they're having a hard time getting coverage because the insurance company's like, oh, whoa, wait a second. Do you have that other security incident resolved yet? Because if you don't, we don't want to jump in. So, and then make sure you understand your cyber insurance policy because there's a variety of different um, providers out there. The questionnaires are different. The coverage is different. There's a lot of times there's limitations on what they will pay. Sometimes they'll pay for ransomware. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes you're like, I have a million dollar policy. That ransomware came in at 900,000, I'm good. And then you dig into policy and it's only $250,000 for ransomware. So make sure that as you are working through your insurance negotiations, that you really understand that. And then we all do this. Hey, great, thank you for renewing my insurance broker. I'm glad I've got my policies. I'm gonna stick them in the drawer and I'm not gonna look at them. And then 30, 45 days after you've you know, renewed your insurance, they send you that 300 page packet with all of the details. And you go, great, I'm gonna put it in my file, not gonna look at it, look at it. Make sure you're reading the details. Make sure you understand what is included and excluded because that's really where the meat is, is in all of that detail. Um, and then also, um, you know, Mike touched on it, but make sure that you have a business continuity plan in place and a business registration restoration plan. They're two separate things. But if you do get hacked, and it will be when, not if, 
Um, make sure you know how you're going to run your organization. We have seen it happen a lot on a holiday weekend. Um, Christmas. Do you really want to be in the office on Christmas trying to figure out how to keep your organization running and figuring out how you're going to pay your employees when you can't get to your payroll system? So making sure that you know how to contact your insurance agent after hours and what the protocol is. Because the insurance companies have a timeline, and they only give you so much time without getting them involved before they start to not play nice. And they're like, oh, we're not going to cover it because you didn't call us, you know, till 30 days later. That's not how it works. You have to call them, like, within 24 hours. So digging into that policy and understanding when you have to call them, even if it's on a weekend, how you're going to handle it. And making sure that you have a plan on how to keep your business running while you're trying to restore your data. And make sure you've got a good partner, IT partner, that can help you get that data restored. And do you need to pay the ransom, not pay the ransom? Sometimes that's a business decision. Sometimes it's a cash decision. Sometimes it's an IT decision based upon if you need your data back or if you've got enough backups that you don't have to pay it. So there's a lot of pieces there, but making sure you've got your strategic partners working with you to help identify and um, bring the expertise to the table so that you guys can really develop a good, strong plan. Our final question segment is about your employees and HR staff. And so we're talking to Rich Cornell and saying that the HR compliance area continues to grow. What are some questions employers should ask their benefits brokers? You, you sound so wrongly excited about this topic. Um, Brian in the back and I work in an alphabet soup of acronyms. And from time to time, you all should as well. Uh, do not assume because you have 17 employees or 30 employees or you're in this industry or that industry that you don't have to fill out X, Y, and Z. You might. You might be required to do a 5500. You may need to complete a PCORI. It depends on the type of plan you're with. And depending on the type of plan you're, you're set up, your vendor might help you with RxDC reporting and CAA reporting, or they might not. And your broker might help you, or they might not. These are discussions you should have internally as well as with your benefits broker, with your vendor, to confirm that you're meeting the various deadlines throughout the year. Um, one of the things that we see from a tea leaves perspective, if the economy wanes, typically what increases? The teeth behind the regulations. And so the, the gazillion dollar fine that nobody's ever paid before for, for not completing X, Y, or Z suddenly becomes more attractive to the, the, the folks that, that are doing those fines. So it's important to stay ahead of, of, of those issues. Um, and I'm going to ask Doug to weigh in on this, this area as well. Of course, there are HR risks just being an employer. So we decide to talk to Doug DeLisser, the district manager of Insperity, and find out what should we be thinking about for HR? Everything in the employee life cycle. There's a packet uh, for HR compliance on your desk there. Um, and I could spend a half day uh, just talking about the risk from an employer standpoint. It's also one of the, the last areas that a lot of businesses look at for risk, right? They, they, they're looking at things like finance and operations and, uh, and how they're going to sell their next deal, sales and marketing. And people tend to be the last 
strategy that companies think about, small to medium-sized. Large companies have departments and floors with groups just for HR or payroll or benefits and compensation and risk. So the biggest difference is the toolkits between what a large company has and a small business. But um, it really is everything in the employee life cycle. And so Rich talked about acronyms. There's a lot of acronyms to be worried about. Um, the IRS is one of those, right? And they've got departments like Wage and Hour and Department of Labor. And um, EEOC is probably one of the biggest risks in terms of potential impact to profitability. So as an example, um, whether it be age, gender, religion, uh, retaliation, there's so many discriminatory potential options out there, and a lot of small businesses aren't really protected against those things. You can certainly have some insurance. There's something called employment practices liability insurance, so if you don't have that now, that's something I would at least look into to protect against the bigger things. You know, you could pull up every day something on Google about um, a company losing a case to any of those discriminatory practices. Could be a million dollars. The average uh, lawsuit um, settlement when it makes it to court, 60% uh, of the time employees win those, and the average lawsuit tends to be about $400,000. And that's excluding any attorney's fees you've had to build up through that process. So if you think about risk, part of that risk is to profitability as a business owner. Um, and again, it's everything in that life cycle. Um, the EEOC, Department of Labor, OSHA, um, there's all kinds of fiduciary responsibilities on 401k and other things as well. Um, you could go out and literally Google search and get lost in this, but just uh, here's a couple areas that um, I just did a little research yesterday, just kind of getting updates. And these things are on the agenda for legislation, either nationally or state-specific that you may want to be aware of. So pay equity is one of those big issues out there. Um, and so there are seven states just in the last six months that passed legislation. And on a national level, that's being looked at as well in terms of pay equity between men and women is just one of those areas. Um, workers' comp classification. Uh, there's some rulings coming out under FLA, or, yeah, FLSA and the DOL. They're expected to release a final rule on some reclassification of workers' comp by the end of this year. Um, wage and hour regulations, um, uh, there's some additional legislation coming out in 2024 uh, regarding um, scheduling ordinances, elimination of subminimum wage rates, tip credits in certain jurisdictions, it's all over the board. Uh, paid leave, um, a lot of that's state specific, but more and more employees are asking for paid leave in a lot of different areas, so that's certainly one of those areas. And then cybersecurity, right? A lot of remote work. I think uh, there was a question in the back about that. Um, all those things can certainly impact um, financial challenges. And, and from an HR standpoint, you have tactical. A lot of those things I just mentioned are tactical. And then the other risks are just to culture, uh, which is a whole different set of challenges. Uh, right. So the first thing to do is, is from an education awareness, right? Um, a lot of businesses don't know what they don't know about HR regulations. And I mean, there's hundreds of acronyms that you need to at least know how they impact you. And there's ways you can go out and find, you know, based on your company size, what do I need to really worry about? Because there are different levels of employee numbers that impact those things. Um, but part of that is just education. Part of that is uh, maybe having an HR audit, right? If you have never had that done before, um, certainly do that. Uh, also, who's responsible in your organization for HR, right? Is it somebody by default, which happens a lot of times in small businesses? Um, but the risks can be huge. So part of that is, you know, who owns that? 
peace within your organization. And then uh, certainly education. There's some things that any company can do in onboarding a new employee uh, that has to do with liability management for the employee, for managers or supervisors, as well as the company itself. Um, and then you can invest in technology. You know, we talked a lot about technology today. Um, using a third-party provider, um, whether that's Insperity or others, um, sometimes a lot of those things are already um, taken care of within their HR technology platforms. And then certainly the expertise that's out there, whether you use an HR consultant, HR attorney, uh, service provider, there's a lot of resources out there that you can certainly explore. But it's one of those areas that there's just a lot of risks that companies don't think about until something happens. And that something happens can really impact profitability. And then we talked to Kathy Deegan um, from an HR perspective um, to talk about how your company would respond if you had a key employee that suffered a long-term disability, because that can be just as debilitating to the organization. Again, we more likely will lose our income due to an injury or illness. But what decision have you made if you have a key person that you're dependent on and, and their family's dependent on them and they get cancer? And they have to be out. So do you decide, uh, well, I'll pay him just two weeks. You know, I'll pay him two weeks for salary. Then what happens after two weeks? And who becomes the decision maker on are you sick enough or are you not sick enough to continue being paid? And you can do that for a while, for, but really what you're doing then is setting a standard that everybody is going to be expecting, and then you can't afford everybody, anybody else to get sick. So give it a thought about if somebody gets sick or hurt yourself, your employees, that you're going to have a policy for 30 days or 60 to self-insure or buy insurance to do it. It does happen, and you want to make the decision before us now. We all have repeated the exact same thing. Lesson number one. You have to have insurance before anything happens. I mean, that's you can't buy any insurance up here with, after something has already happened. Medical diagnosis. So today always is the best day to make a decision about any life insurance, disability protection. Thank you for listening to this special episode. I, I know I said in closing, um, but just carving out some time to talk to these people or your own trusted advisors in, in marketing and banking and finance and your business broker and IT and HR, it will help you feel so much more comfortable. Trust me, you'll feel better when you do. Find contact information in the show notes down below. Um, we encourage you to reach out to them and have a simple conversation. Trust me, when you do that, you'll feel better. Thanks for listening. Give us a five-star rating and review, and we will catch you next time on the Small Business Miracles podcast. <laughs>